The following is brought to you in association with and from a proud partner of the Shining Wizards Network. Entertainment here. This is Radioactive Metal, your source for news, views, tunes, and interviews. Here are your hosts, Snowy, Rock, Corrine, and Aaron. What's up, everyone? Welcome to a 19, 1981 episode of Radioactive Metal. This is episode 683, and I'm Snowy White. And dear listeners, you want something really good under your tree this year. Something hot. Something hotter than a church in Norway. Then go to truecultcoffee.com, T-R-V-E-K-V-L-T coffee.com. Go out there, get on the mailing list at the very least, because then you'll know about all the cool stuff Snowy and I talk about that doesn't show up on the social medias. Um, you'll get great music if you subscribe, because, you know, you subscribe, you never run out of coffee, you get some every month, and you get great music every month, right? Because this isn't just like... Oh, I got an idea. Let's get heavy people to like drink this coffee with a skull and crossbones, and then they'll think this coffee's metal. Because this coffee is made for metalheads by metalheads. The metal the music, the metal music is curated. These people live, eat, breathe, sleep metal all day mm-hmm. long. That's how this shit goes down. That's why you should go there. After Christmas, we will be getting a full report from one of my buddies, a third party that I used to go to school with, because, you know, he hears us talk about it every week, and he's like, dude, you got a discount code? I'm like, yeah, because it's True Cult Coffee, and I can't remember what the discount code is, but if you follow him on the social medias and you get in the email, you'll know it, and you can just pull it up. Um, and it might be expired by now anyway, but when he ordered it, he ordered it, and I said, I need a report. He said, it's already wrapped up under the tree, and so... Dear listeners, that's what's waiting under one tree. Hopefully more. But I digress. TrueCallCoffee.com. T-R-V-K-V-L-T-Coffee.com. Possess yourself a cup today. Dear Snowman, what is happening? Well, first of all, before we get on with the grunt here, as my dad used to say, um... And he also said fucking the dog. That's why I still can't figure out. (laughs) Yeah, 
yeah, yes, that's an old expression up here as well. Um, before I guess we you get stay warm somehow in Canada, I don't know. <laughs> that's it. Oh, particularly on a night like like tonight, as we sit down and press play, the temperature has dropped, and yeah, it's uh, it's not fun, but that's not going to deter us from having a great time here for all you beautiful listeners this week to which we have to apologize too because unfortunately just due to scheduling especially around this time of year and people have lives and things to do and people to see and all that we just no matter how hard we tried we just couldn't yeah find that time to sit down yeah. shit for, went for, south record. yeah I'm sorry no no that's not a problem it's going to happen and all that, particularly, like I said, around this time of year. But we're going to make it all up to everyone with another kick-ass episode here. As the as this year is dying down, okay, it's like, okay, this topic, tonight's topic, we have to get it in now. <laughs> or, you know... In that special 40th anniversary of tonight's topic, it's just not going to be... It, it won't be that milestone, shall we say. So, everyone, uh, grab a grab grab a cup of true cavalt coffee, or maybe a, you know, a tall glass of your of your favorite. Grab a brewski or whatever, buckle in. I got in, two lemons beside me right now. Right on, right on, yeah. Double, double fisting. Excellent, excellent. Been there, done that. <laughs> done that. I got week. some. Uh, I got some uh, Irish Irish whiskey going on here in my Buffy the Vampire Slayer mug, and we Top are of the morning to you. Rock and roll, rock and roll, to kick everything off. In the name of True Cavalt Coffee, it's time to get into it with our mandatory metal segment and i decided you know what right now you go on to Bandcamp. the good folks at horror pain gore death productions good friends of the show you know have been playing their stuff pretty much right from the get-go on this fantastic label they've dropped a free 30 track sampler of all of their releases from 2021 now chances are a lot of these bands Okay, you'll have all, if you've been listening to Radioactive Metal throughout the last year, a lot of these bands that will be that are available on this sampler, you've already caught a sample of just from us here. But uh, with a roster like Coffins, Mortify, Winnipeg's Crossover Thrasher, Solanum, ne Necronemesis, Anatomia, great stuff. They had an absolutely fantastic year at Horror, Pain, Gore, Death. So, for the aforementioned Mandatory Metal, I decided let's go with Mausoleum from their latest release. This release, this is Shrieks of Fright.
been very busy this week. Here's our metal fix. Hey, dude, what's going on? Dude, I don't fucking know. <laughs> like, it's one of those things where there's times this week I want to write stuff down to talk about and I'm just like, oh, fuck it. You know, the only thing that's really on the top of my mind this week is because last night and then tomorrow as we record this, is the 40th anniversary streaming event that Metallica's putting on. Um, mm-hmm. Dean Del Rey, the the um, podcaster, Let, Let There Be Talk and stand-up comedian, has been actually warming up the shows with stand-up sets. Ah. And I, it, that's something I just think is awesome, because Dean's known those guys for years. Like, Dean was a part of that scene. He grew up in the Bay Area scene, you know? And it's, it's just great to see, you know, stuff like that come back around, you know, where it's like, oh, hey, here's one of our buddies. Look what he's doing. Fuck. Let, let's really make this a 40th anniversary show. You know, like uh, they, they, they do a lot of things right, even though they record the Black Album, you know. <laughs> I don't know if there's yeah. any amount of therapy that'll help me get past that, but you know, <laughs> um, the Brian Setzer got to have the rumble finally released on vinyl. I've been listening to that today and I, I got that. Hmm. I feel like there's some other metal news I got. Um, I'm drinking my blackened whiskey, which I'm almost out. I'm uh-huh. going to need to get another bottle of whiskey, um, which two bottles of whiskey in a few months. Um, I can't tell if I'm drinking more or if I'm just enjoying the taste of alcohol now because I'm, because I'm really taking the time to find good stuff. Right. You know, because dude, the blackened, holy fuck, is it good? Like, like Lemmy would have approved 
Oh, he, no, no. He was really approved. Like, this is really good. Oh, speaking of Lemmy, uh, Motorhead's got a whiskey coming out with Hill Rock Distilleries. Hill Rock put out the Anthrax whiskey. And I feel like there may have been another one. But Hill Rock seems to be embracing the metal peeps um, and doing some serious whiskeys, you know, co-branded with them. Oh, and of course, you know, Dixon Flannel, because what's an episode if I don't talk about Dixon Flannel? <laughs> Those guys are doing a Suicidal Tendencies Flannel now. Mm. I, I, okay, that's perfect. You know what? Yeah. Uh, fuck grunge with flannel and all that. I recall Mike Mike Mir de- oh, yeah. a, decade, a decade before grunge. Long before grunge. Okay. Yeah. He, he, he was sporting the flannel. Absolutely. And absolutely. Being a good Canadian boy, I was sporting the flannel, you know, decades before grunge, too. So take Dude, that. I grew up in a cold, cold weather uh, culture as well. I was also wearing the flannel. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, this is kind of a throwback to last the last episode there as well. What we were there for first. What exactly. we remember starting Damn it, damn it, yeah. I remember yeah. flying along before, you know, a stoned Kurt Cobain stumbled into practice and said, hey, guys, listen to this. And it was more of a lumberjack thing. Yeah, oh, for sure. You know? and, that, and that's the funny thing is, like, if you think about Seattle, if you think about the industries there, it totally makes sense they're all wearing flannel because they're probably logging. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, like, a lot of yeah. that stuff going on up there. So, yeah. and and if you think about... Like the very interesting thing to me about different scenes and and different iconic sounds, right? So grunge, grunge has this, oh yeah, we're going to, um, you know, play, play punk rock. Like what we hear or we read about in the magazines, because they couldn't even get it. Like they're almost as in the outskirts as I am, right? Mm -hmm. And so they went to the pawn shops, bought the cheapest guitars they could get which were great guitars that just nobody wanted because they're ugly. Nobody wanted to play Mustangs and Jaguars and all that sort of stuff. You know, nobody wanted those guitars. That, that, that's, that's the common misconception today is like, oh, man, Kurt had these great guitars. Oh, no. Go back, read the articles. He said they were the cheapest guitars I could find. <laughs> nobody well, yeah. wanted them. Well, they yeah. weren't cool. You know, they're cool today. They were not cool back then. Nobody wanted those guitars. Nobody wanted a DS1. DS1 was a was a distortion pedal you get for 20 bucks. Heck, today you can get still get a brand new for 50 bucks. But nobody wanted it, right? And so, you know, those guys were just living on a budget. Fuck it. Give me my sweater and my flannel. We're going on stage. That's how it went. There we go. You know? Sure. And then apply that to uh, the Swedish death metal scene, right? Everybody's like, oh, the HM2. They had this iconic sound with the HM2. Nobody wanted the HM2. I was one of two guys at my high school that owned one. Nobody wanted them. Dude, in the 90s, you couldn't get like 10, 20 bucks for them. People were trying to give them away. Nobody wanted them. And then Swedish death metal hits. They buy them all up and boom. Oh, I've got to have this for the sound. You know? And, and and it's funny, like the jazz masters, the jaguars, like those kind of guitars were never intended for the style of music that they make. 
heavy metal, the heavy metal pedal was made for hair metal. For like, you know, the Motley Crue's, that kind of stuff. It wasn't made mm-hmm. for Swedish death metal. So it's very interesting how you see how history like looks at these things and the genre of music it's made for rejects it and then a new genre is born from it. I mean, fuck, dude, look at hip hop. The TR-808, the, the rolling drum machines, that's another example of nobody wanted them. They were cheap as hell in the pawn shop. Because people are like, this sounds like ass. I don't like this. This doesn't sound like a real drum. drum. And hip hop picked it up and did sick ass shit with it. You know? So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was an old man rant or what was going on there, but... Yeah, I never know. Really... I never. Sorry, I never know when I'm going to get a lesson in gear and equipment when I sit down with you. Uh, almost every episode, I yeah. feel like I always want to talk about it. But funny you mentioned that. I was thinking we should get Ducky and Matt back on the show and talk about um, metal guitars through the ages, hmm. and and talk okay. about like guitars that we identify with a specific genre. Didn't just uh, didn't what did, what did I see? And I should have wrote this down, but didn't the, the Flying V just recently celebrate a significant anniversary? Or I saw something as I was going through the interwebs. Okay, help me out. What year is this? Twenty twenty one. This is still twenty twenty one. Okay, so I felt like the Flying Vs were until like the fifty six, right? Like. Mid mid to later fifties, like even like fifty eight. <clears throat> okay. Um. So, but I mean, if it's fifty six, that's somewhere in like the fives, right? So that could be like a sixty five. I'll look that one up. But fifty one was the Fender Precision Bass, right? So ah. forty six is the the Fender Broadcaster that becomes the Telecaster, also known as an Esquire, depending on what they write on the headstock. I am sure there's differences. Same fucking guitar to me, guys. Sorry. But, so, Leo's got this going on from 46 to 51. And at 51, he starts experimenting because he's got these guys hanging around his shop saying, I can't get work. They need bass players, but I can't play an upright bass. So Leo gets an upright bass, takes it apart, figures, hey, how can I make this into something a guitar player could play? invents the precision bass that comes out in 51. Ah, By 54, the precision bass becomes basically what we know today with the split coil pickup and the the contoured body. And that same design then is adapted into the Stratocaster, which I believe was also 54. So those two things came out. And I'm doing this off the top of my head. Like I... I've I've read these books so many times. Like I just mm-hmm. the, the Fender Company I love, but um yeah I'm not sure about the Flying V because the Flying V, the Flying V, the Explorer, and then there's the fabled Modern, the Modern Three, um, was basically Gibson trying to keep up with the Fender Company because Fender was kicking their ass, right? They've been making guitars for years. We're kind of late to the party with solid body, solid body electrics, but um, Fender was kicking their ass because the Stratocaster, as 
every day as that guitar is today, that was really radical in 1954. Really, really radical. So Fender was, or I'm sorry, Gibson was trying to get somebody to do some radical things. And that's when they came up with the Explorer and the, the Flying V. And I was close, all right? It was, it was around 57, 58, uh, the Flying V was was introduced. Same with the uh, Explorer. And they only had a short run. And then they came back in either the 70s or the 80s. Because, like, those guitars ruled the 80s. Like, the V and the Explorer. Oh, I, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, I think that'd be fun for us to talk about. Because, you know, the Flying V is something that I think we associate with metal but it oh definitely it, it didn't start out as a metal guitar you know yeah. right right it's it's that image of michael shanker but actually both both the shankers with the flying v's oh like, yeah when you think flying v guitar like those are the two that immediately you know pop up i don't know yeah i imagine they made they were endorsed by you know the with them a lot I'm of those sure. guys weren't they just liked them, you know, because in in the 60s and 70s, people really weren't picking up that sort of stuff yet. And I mean, by the 80s, we started having guitar endorsements coming around, mm-hmm. but not really from the big guys. Gibson and Fender were pretty just like, eh, we're doing whatever we do, you know? Like, if you have somebody like a B.B. King, right? Somebody who's that iconic, they're going to get a signature or... You know, toward, no, you know what? I don't even think this was towards the 80s. I think it was more towards the 90s when, like, Clapton was getting signature strat. You know? Ah, okay. And it's funny because so many players, especially metal players, were hot-rodding Stratocasters. Fender kind of ignored that. You know? The, the first metalish guy, like, it, at least in my mind, that I really remember having a signature was Ingve. That stands to reason. You know? So yeah, but yeah, I, th- I think we could have a fun time talking about this, and t- and because some some of it has to do with shapes, you know, mm-hmm. like like you'll see a shape like oh yeah, I'm going to associate this with this person, this person. So yeah, we should do that in a future episode. But I digress. What's going on with you, man? Well, myself, before uh, I get on with my metal fix here, I want to say hello and shout out and all of my love to my beloved Mrs. Snowy, who in just a couple days, as we speak, is uh, gone another year around the sun. Oh, she's a December birthday, too. She is. Oh, happy birthday. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. She turns er, years old. 29. Yeah, let's go with that. Let's yeah. go with that. It's always yeah, 29. Already, we already decided what we're going to do with, with that. We're going to go out for dinner, us and Little Snowy, and then we're hitting the new Spider-Man movie. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. She really digs Spider-Man and all of those movies dating back to, like, the three Sam Raimis and all that. So she's really looking forward to that. And that's that's the great thing about being you know married to like a cool chick i don't have to sit through stupid chick flicks and you know anything any any crap like that she enjoys when she goes out to the theater she wants to go out and uh check out the good stuff speaking of superheroes and all of that good stuff i'm gonna kick off my metal fix here we uh 
we hit the record shop and the comic shop and i picked up what i think is going to be an absolutely crusher of a compilation record if you're familiar with what's going on some of the bigger things in the comic book scene right now dc had that has that excellent um series called uh, dark dark knights yes okay and then they had the dark knights metal and they had the dark knights death metal series yes and now they've all been part of a graphic novel and all that well someone had the good idea of coming up with a soundtrack for the Dark Knight's death metal comic book series. Right? And obviously it's a comic. There's You can't actually hear any music and all that. But I still think it's a pretty damn good idea. I picked up this awesome two vinyl red with red, red smoke vinyl. I got the Wonder Woman variant cover, of course. Of course. And, and there's going to be some uh, really cool goodies inside i just picked this up a couple hours ago as we speak so i decided you know what i'm going to wait to open it live on the air here some of the artists on this already include uh tunes from mastodon chelsea wolf tyler bates who does the the rob zombies like he does a whole a lot of soundtrack music um as well rise against uh, a whole a whole slew of really and le and le lesser known bands as well like we've had Karch Angren on I believe I talked about this last week when we we're talking about the connections between comics and metal it's just like it's just an amazing package here altogether so I was super Super stoked for this, and I've read as much of the Death Metal comic series as I can, so this totally makes sense. Now, someone might be saying, well, if it's called Death Metal, you know, where's the Cannibal Corpse? Where's this? Where's that? And it's like, well, no, it's not really, the focus on it really isn't music. The Eagles se. of Death Metal. <laughs> the Eagles of Death Metal, yeah. So, I'm opening it up right now. Oh, really cool gatefold sleeve, obviously, yeah. because it's a double, you know, it's a double album. Uh, oh, some wicked artwork featuring the Justice League. Let's. That album literally is worth it just for the art. And I don't think anybody oh, yeah. understands that enough that. They they got like legit comic artists to do some serious art for this stuff, man. Oh, for sure, for sure. Oh my God, is yeah. the vinyl ever sweet? Yes, it's transparent. It's transparent red with black with black mar marble, which I guess oh, they call red smoke. Oh yeah. my God, so sweet. I'll 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 post pictures of this up on our. On our Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, let's, sh let's shoot for when we actually drop the episode. Yeah. Which will be... Yeah. Fuck, will it be on Christmas? Christmas Eve, it, right? Chris Christmas Eve. Christmas wow, Eve. Wow, yeah. Definitely post it then. There's a poster in here. Oh, ooh, some of the artwork from the graphic novel. Nice, nice. That'll, that'll be going up 
somewhere on the walls, and as well, it's a, a trading card as well. Oh, there it just fell out. Ooh, a trading card of uh, Dark Side. Holy shit! It sweet. just makes my day, man. Yeah, and if you're not if you're not too familiar who Darkseid is, you everyone would know by now who Thanos is. Yes. From from the Avenger movies, he's Darkseid was kind of like DC's idea of of Thanos. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So that's sweet. I can't wait to play that. Although, like I said, I've already kind of heard some of these these tracks, but man, man, really, really nice. While I was out and about. We did hit um, the comic book shop as well. Picked up uh, issue four of the Kiss Phantom Obsession series. I'm really enjoying that. I discovered uh, issue one of a new series from the character Hell Witch. Now, who Hell Witch is, is she's this smoking hot demon Okay, humanoid demon, you know, with the horns and the wings, but just a smoking hot bod and all that. It's basically, okay, if you said to a 16-year-old boy, okay, I want you to make a uh, comic about a uh, female demon, okay, and you have some idea what it would look like, uh, mature readers, shall we say, <laughs> that's exactly what the new oh, helmet is. <laughs> series would look like so it's like yeah okay here's something that's going to keep me warm on these on these cold winter nights shall shall we say great stuff as well based right here out of winnipeg mr evan queering okay he is a local comic book artist and he started a new series called murder city devil it's based in Okay, the series, you know, it's basically this devil-type superhero vigilante. And um, it's based in the town of River City. River City is Winnipeg's nickname. Oh, nice. And as you see the murder, the murder city devil swinging throughout town and landing on buildings, it's like, Oh, I've been in that theater. Oh, I've, I I know that building. Oh, yeah, this, 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 this. Yeah, Murder City Devil, based out of Winnipeg, based on, based on Winnipeg. So it's like, ah, oh, this is really sweet. So I'm definitely going to be enjoying that. Um, and let's get on with some tunes here, some cool stuff across my desk. Uh one of the favorite bands around here, and you spoke to um, Melissa from Casket Robbery. Oh, yeah. A couple of years back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you had a great chat with the vocalist from that band when they came through town. Well, they have a new single, Bone Mother. Yes. And, and video up on YouTube. I was given, uh, I was given that a spin. That's some really good stuff. We'll get to that. But before we do... That's a another... band that needs to be bigger. They oh, are just yeah. fantastic. I I just keep waiting for them to take off because I will totally be like, yeah, we've been telling you about them for years. They're just amazing. Oh, for sure. 
For sure. And they would be like, you're, you're absolutely right. They should be signed. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't yeah. know why why they're not. Me neither. And when they do, it'll be one of the many, many bands that we can go back and say, yeah, we played them. We absolutely. played them. Then they got signed right after we played them. Yeah, of course. Because <laughs> we were there first. <laughs> That's right. Which Going is... back to last episode, we were there. Yep. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And hopefully we will be the ones introducing you to a really cool new band. Their record, Shock to the System, available now from Cruz del Sur Records. I want to crank a track from the band Tower, who plays some classic heavy metal with 70s attitude from New York City. With those hype words, it's like, okay definitely going to give this band some attention and i'm glad i did so from the aforementioned a shock to the system record this is tower with blood moon
From the 1990 record, courtesy of Wild Rags Records, oh, I remember well the Wild Rags days, that was Hell Witch from their Sigigial Miscretancy record, that was Nosferatu, great stuff, great stuff, and as we mentioned, new music from Casket Robbery, that was the new single bone mother and like we said uh, the video is up on youtube right now so uh as soon as you're done this hit the tubes and uh check it out some really cool stuff from a really cool band and even better people as we said at the top of the hop there's kind of a special 40th anniversary that's going on well 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 it's it's almost that time the year is going to expire so it's like well we better hurry up and talk about this because as it turned out and dude don't you feel old knowing that 1981 okay was 40 years ago now? oh yeah oh, holy jeez because it doesn't feel oh, that long it doesn't it doesn't because I remember I remember everything going on in my life, where I was, like how old I was, what I was doing, all of my interests. It just it just it doesn't seem like forty years ago. <laughs> like not even close. But when you kind of put it into those when 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 you kind of give it some thought and you kind of spell it out for yourself it's like yeah fuck it has it has been that long and 1981 as it turned out was um pretty significant as well just in terms of a lot of things within the metal world and immediately when you think you know night of of any of any particular year a lot of great bands form every year, okay? And it takes a little while, you know, for them to, if they're going to go anywhere and make anything of their career, it might take a little while. That's why, you know, you might not have exactly heard of any of these bands that year. But 1981, okay, that was the year 
that we saw three quarters of Thrash's big four form. Now, no, their debut records didn't come out that year. We're talking the year they were formed, where they all sat down, got together, we're going to be a band, do the first jam, perhaps play their first gig. And, of course, we're talking Anthrax, Metallica, and Slayer, because Megadeth wouldn't come until a couple years later after, you know, he was ousted from Metallica and formed, formed Megadeth and all that. But uh, I would think that is pretty significant. Three of the four, you know, that in the, in that one year, I've got a list here of, of bands that were newly formed in 81 mm-hmm. and Anthrax Metallica Slayer. Yes. Like, obviously for us, those are the big ones. But, dude. Okay, this is funny. Twisted Sisters on this list. (laughs) You betcha. Yeah. I feel like somebody missed that one, because Twisted Sisters started in the 70s. Yeah, 74, actually. Yeah, yeah. And that always blows my mind. I'm like, whoa. But, um, Man of War's on this list. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they started. Motley Crue. Motley Crue and Rat as well. Yeah. They they formed. So yeah, it was it was a pretty significant year for Thrash, but um as well, you know, Rat Rat Crew. You know, if you were to make a big four of like eighties glam or eighties hair or whatever, that's that's two of the four right there. Oh yeah. And suicidal tendencies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Going back to what we were saying and yeah i'd never like i when when did i discover suicidal they it was after i had gone metal but it might have took about a year later before i bought the first record on frontiers as well so yeah like they had their time in la when they were just slogging it out in the underground hardcore scene how awesome man would it have been to see suicidal like at that at that time in LA, you know the cool thing is though, like with the LA scene, especially like reading uh, Nikki's memoirs and that sort of stuff, you know all these bands in LA knew each other. Like you know mm-hmm. Slayer knew Suicidal, vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean Metallica started in LA, so you know they knew who they were too, right? So oh, for sure. You just you know they were all hanging out and checking each other's bands out and all that sort of stuff. Just you know when I, when I look at just how much was happening in L.A. in '81 that made it. Imagine how much else was going on we've never seen that was still great shit. You know, oh, for sure, yeah. Ah, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> we yeah yeah we 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 were there when a lot of stuff happened but you know for a lot of stuff we weren't Dude, actually fuck. we weren't in the room <laughs> okay you know who else is on this list and okay. i i totally forgot about this because we didn't even know about them until 10 years later pantera mm-hmm. pantera mm-hmm. was 81 fuck dude yeah, when would their first like hair record have come out? Probably eighty nine or ninety. Oh well, no, the first no. hair record. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, like what is it? Screaming for night or power metal or something like that? Hang on, 
Power yeah, Metal I, was somewhere between 86 and 87. Oh, okay. So they were flogging it out in Texas. Yeah. You know, in the hair metal scene. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because no, because Metal Magic was 83. Oh, and that was okay. like Terry Glaze and those guys. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. see. Yeah, Pant- it's weird with Pantera. That's the only band ever, I really think, got more popular when they got heavier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know, because, because it like it was always the reverse. A band would get more attention, more you know, more sales and all that when they started to make their music a little more accessible. Oh yeah, yeah, like soften it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Pantera totally flipped the switch. The uh Napalm Death that that formed in nineteen eighty one though was a very different napalm that uh you know death metal fans would know today like it was very even different from their third record like i believe their first record scum would have would come out a few years but three years later i believe and it was a very they were one of the pioneers of of grindcore you know i remember the first time i had heard napalm death on that first record and we couldn't believe like, this is some pretty crazy shit. I mean, like, yeah, we enjoy thrash metal and pop, hardcore and punk and all that. But, man, this is something else. And, of course, memories of Napalm Death, that that incarnation would go on, you know, to form Carcass and Cathedral. And so very significant band, Napalm Death, formed in 1981 as well. And speaking of just hardcore punk bands and all that good stuff. We recently played some government issue on the show. We played some classic negative approach. And Jody Foster's army, JFA, the the awesome uh, skate band out of, out of LA. You don't remember? JFA? I just love that name. Oh, you just love that <clears throat> name. I thought maybe I, I got you again on 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 something dopey. Yeah. Oh, dude. Oh, oh that awesome skate rock. Well, you know, they were a very significant band back then. And, you know, once again, in L.A., you know, in the in the early 80s skate rock scene and all that JFA, you know, they were they were definitely one of the uh, the, the the forefathers and as well. Merciful fate. That was a very different merciful fate their first year. I mean, I don't even think Kim Peterson, kayfabe dude, I don't think he was even going by the name King Diamond at the time. They certainly weren't. Really? I thought he was one of those King Diamonds out of the, like, out of the gate he was that crazy. Maybe once they recorded the first record, but I don't know when they were like an unsigned band slogging it out, you know in garages and in the clubs and all that. I don't know if he was going by King King Diamond by then and just to see just how much how, you know, Merciful Fate and then King Diamond, you know, and still Merciful Fate later on as 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 Diamond would go back and forth from his band back to Merciful Fate and all that. Just you it's just one of those things you didn't know back then exactly what was going to become of these wicked artists, all of them yeah. on this list, you know. 
because when you're you know just an unsigned up, upcoming band you never really know you know you don't know what the future holds for you man all you know is you're rocking and rolling and that that's that's all you care about now years later all of these bands that we're talking about is just like legendary artists all right you ready for some fun so sure. we've, t- we've talked about some pretty pretty heavy hitters in the world of metal and mm-hmm. just just really really serious for for contrast i always like to look up what was going on in pop music so so you mm-hmm. understand where the counterculture comes from in the month of january for like 4 weeks just like starting over john lennon was the number one song um, Blondie at the end of January had the tide is high. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Um, celebration, cool in the gang. <laughs> right. That right. that was for two weeks in February, and then here's a fun one. Nine to five was the number one in February, and then again in March. And I'm guessing probably when the when the movie came out, nine to five. But that song right. was everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get that. Um, I love a rainy night. Eddie Rabbit. Oh. Okay. Keep on loving you, Ario Speedwagon. Oh, I hear that song all the time on the oh, radio, yeah. at least once a day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Still a huge song, right? Uh, Blondie's Rapture. One of the what's kind of credited as the very first rap song. Yeah, well, commercial rap song. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, okay, so get this: Your Kiss is on my list, Hall and Oates. Uh-huh. All right. One of my personal favorite songs, Morning Train, 9 to 5, Sheena Easton, um, uh, two weeks in May. And then from like mid-May to mid-July, except for one week, Betty Davis Eyes takes over. Well, that was the number one song in 1981, as I recall. Yeah. The whole year, yeah. And I don't even think, like, looking at this list, it's not even the best song on here. So, I mean, it's good, but I mean, it's no fucking nine to five. Like <laughs> okay. Dolly, Dolly Parton's nine to five. Like that. Those are those are some really well done lyrics. You know, uh, pour myself a cup about. of ambition. Come on, yeah, that that's yeah. good. You know, mm-hmm. just the 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 problem with it's not her problem. It's not a problem because she was so well endowed. Oh, that's, yeah. That that's what people talked about first. Yeah, you know, how, how bigger boobs were, and then and then whatever song that they liked. You know what though? Like like here here's what I absolutely love about her. She's one hundred percent of aware of that and exploits the fuck out of it. Yeah, yeah. She didn't. She had the. She wore the sweaters oh, that yeah. sent you. But but I mean yeah. like she even talks about it to this day like she she kind of downplays the fact that she's a hell of a songwriter, like and she really is a hell of a songwriter. Like she wrote nine to five, which I didn't believe. Like I was talking to somebody else, I'm like no, she didn't write that. Like because I, growing up in that era, exactly what you said. Everybody talks about her boobs first. I just figured she was like Michael Jackson or somebody else, some other big singer. I had no idea. The, the amount of 
stuff she was writing. So then when I went back and started looking at it, I'm like, oh, wow. And just like how smart was she to just not not even not even try to bring it up because th- think about that era right and think about what the movie nine to five was about you know mm-hmm. basically about the fact that nobody gave a shit about women and they're going to exploit them in the job all the time right and she was able to talk about that and make money making fun of people for that and start to actually give that light and ne- and never try to be like, well, I wrote that. You know, she's like, nope, nope, look at my boobs. Keep looking. <laughs> you know? Like, I, I love her for that. You know, uh, I love her for that. I never thought, okay, when we sat down and pressed play, yeah. I never I never thought we were going to be talking about Dolly Parton's tits at this moment. I never, I ne- that, that never would have entered my head. Well, but, given the hey. show's history with Snowy's Angels, I feel like yeah, that's I honestly guess. always waiting in the wings. Right. Yeah. You know? yeah, our Valentine's Day Massacre exactly. episodes have been less than, uh, <clears throat> shall but we say. Dolly Parton is just somebody who is very comfortable with who she is and... You know, uh, well, one of my favorite, my, uh, my, my, one of my old bosses was telling me this, one of my favorite Dolly Parton jokes. Somebody asked her once, they're like, so how much plastic surgery have you had done? And she looks at him, series of heart attack and that sweet, sweet smile and says, well, one more lift and I'll have a beard. Oh. Right? Okay. <laughs> I, I was like, because I, because it took me a second. I'm like, wait, Michelle. I'm like, I'm like, oh, oh, holy go. cow! <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like that. that's, she, you know, when 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 other people would 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 try to skirt the issue or not want to talk about it, she's like, ah, screw you. Go ahead. Come on, come toe to toe with me. Yeah. I dare you. <laughs> Hit 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 me with your best shot. Oh no, that was Pat Benatar. No, but it was that on, no, that wasn't on here. Physical was on here. Oh God. Yeah, physical was on the list. That was that was the end end of eighty one. Oh, oh, some songs do not age well, and that is definitely yeah, physical. Okay. One of them. One Private of them. eyes. Do you remember Arthur's theme? The best that you can do is fall. Yeah. Um, yeah. Christa Berg? Christopher no. Cross. Christopher Cross. I knew there was a Chris in there. He'll make you jump. Somewhere. Jump. Oh, no. Wrong Chris Cross. <laughs> yeah, I got that wrong. Yeah. Oh, oh. Uh, and then um, the, another another one that just like owned the charts for a very long time. Endless Love. Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. Oh, God. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm getting a toothache just thinking about that song. Oh. I That's one of those songs I had never heard. Until one of the Adam Sandler movies, I think Billy Madison. Yeah, yeah I didn't know it. <laughs> Once you start getting move like that, that's what movies in the two thousands were good for kickstarting songs love. for movies and all that. And it's just like, ah, oh, no, I can definitely do without that. One of the things that we definitely couldn't live out, live without from 1981 was a lot of key albums oh yeah a a lot of important albums and some key debut records 
Records. Okay, starting Motley Crue is too fast for love. Yes. That that the the record. Okay, it's not the record. Didn't didn't quite put them on the map. Okay, but it led them. It showed them where the map store was. Shall we say? <laughs> someone someone handed them the map. <laughs> okay, with with that record, and I I thought it was fantastic. You know, it was a lot a lot of high energy. And a lot of potential. The first Anvil record, Hard and Heavy, wow, dropped in night in nineteen eighty one. And of course, like Anvil, you know, has gone on to be this legendary band. And up here, they're they're a Canadian metal icon. And there it is. There's that uh, alliteration there. There's that. There's that alliteration. You know, with with the where they always had the the two three three words in their name with the second with the first and second and third word having the same first letter and all that hard and heavy forged in fire speed of sound <clears throat> and well hard and heavy that was that record that um kind of started all all of that and anvil were one of those bands particularly even when the Forged in Fire record came out a couple years later. Yeah, they were a traditional metal band and all that, but the harder fans, the fans that would that would go on to discover Razor, Sacrifice, and a whole whack of international thrash and death bands and black metal bands, we all flocked to Anvil, you know? Like, they, they fit right in not only in the heavier music but they also fit in with the lee aarons the killer dwarfs the kick axes bands bands like that so definitely good on them for that uh radioactive metal alum which you know anvil is were as well a couple times actually kirith ungal their debut record frost and fire dropped in 1981 wow as uh, yeah 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 as well the uh, another significant debut here and we just spoke about them at length last episode and the record that i went metal full-time because of venom's welcome to hell hit the racks in yeah. 1981 as well and that was that was just one of those game changer records you know like that that speared okay they were a big part of the new wave of british heavy metal but that was a record that along with bathory i guess those first couple albums they influenced the entire black metal scene and a lot of thrashers were big venom fans as well so that was actually pretty significant now the mob rules okay might not be Black Sabbath's debut record, but was that not Ronnie James Dio's first record with the Mighty Sabbath? That came before uh, Heaven and Hell, did it not? I honestly don't know. I feel like well, you're uh, right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, no. So that that was definitely pretty significant speaking of the um, new wave of british heavy metal def leopards high and dry yep dropped in uh 1981 as well and 
this year, okay, just 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 in terms of music and going out and buying and listening to music and all that, like, yeah, I've, you know, we get a lot of awesome music across our desk and, you know, I've bought a lot of new music as well, but this this past year, I've probably spent more time as secondhand vinyl is becoming more red, readily available and you know kind of and a, and a lot cheaper but still maintaining a high quality i've been going out and picking up you know a lot of secondhand classic classic rock and metal vinyls and all that and when i grabbed a uh, a copy of high and dry it's like oh shit yeah i remember we had this on cassette you know, but I it had kind of I don't know where our cassette copy kind of went went off to, but to grab a a, a vinyl copy of High and Dry, it's like oh man, totally forgot just how awesome that record is. Totally, it's like those the first two Def Leppard records. I mean, a lot of fans. Okay, it starts if it doesn't start with Hysteria, it starts with Pyromania. But yes. they, those first. Those first two, those first two records, man, absolutely fantastic. Riots fire down under, did you know hit hit the shelves in 1981, and I think that's the record that really, that really gave garnered them, you know, a lot of their attention. As well, Iron Maiden's Killer, Killers, 19, so, 1981 as well. Interesting thing about that. Samson also had an album out, and that was been their last album with Dickinson. With Dickinson, with yeah, with Bruce Bruce, yeah. as I believe he was calling himself as part of the Samson lineup. And I thought, man, oh, okay, really, Bruce Bruce? Okay, dude. Well, you're singing in Maiden now, so you can whatever. <laughs> in his defense, Jimi Hendrix was a big deal over in the UK, and Jimmy went by Jimmy James in the beginning. So I, I feel like a lot of people were trying to have something as cool as Jimmy James, but Bruce Bruce will never be as cool as Jimmy James. But we still uh, love him, Bruce. Oh, for sure, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Diary of a Madman. The Oz Man. I believe that was solo record number two. Yeah, yeah it's pretty killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some fantastic stuff. To this day, one of the most influential records over a little on the hardcore punk scene. One of my all-time favorite EPs is the Dead Kennedys and God We Trust. Oh, yeah. They're just so... So many wicked stuff, including one of easily one of my top ten all time favorite songs in Nazi Punk's "Fuck Off." That's that's just oh, that's fantastic stuff. Like just every time I listen to that EP, it takes me back to my teens. What year did Princess die and um, Prince Charles get married? I think it was eighty one. Hang on, I need to look that up. Because, and you'll see where I'm going here in a minute. Okay. Uh, shit, I think you're was, right. Yeah, it was Wednesday, was, July 29th, 1981. Wow, you're good. Well, I, I just I yeah. just remember that because we went on a holiday. 
mm-hmm. camping and all that. But I remember my Was it my a hooligan's mom, holiday or was it, it was a holiday in Cambodia? A, it was, yeah, yeah, no. No, we were just uh, doing doing the family thing. And my mother insisted on taking a small portable TV with her just so on that day she could watch the royal wedding. I was going to ask if it was a big deal up there because my my grandmother um, was originally from Scotland. And I I think she was born in Scotland. I don't think she was born here, but I know her family was all from Scotland. And she followed the crown all the time. And it was the, the whole thing was on TV at her house. We watched it. She gave me a history of the crown. Like she really, really knew this stuff. And I wanted to point out that while while that was going on, you know, in the UK, um, the rock world had their own royal wedding going on on April 11th, 1981, when one Eddie Van Halen married Valerie Bertinelli. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was pretty significant, too. Yeah, like, like that. I mean, for... For the rest of us, that was really as big as Prince Charles. <laughs> it really was, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I remember, like, okay, and they—I don't know how long ago, like, they divorced, but no matter how long ago it was, now you can still say they finally divorced. Okay, because celebrity weddings and marriages and all that—they don't last long. Oh, no. But, but Ed and Val, since people used to say chuck and die since ed and val okay like they lasted forever you know you know probably longer than van halen did just so so 81 to 2007 oh okay that's really long it is it is like in terms of like i've been 32 years i've been with mrs snowy now and all that i don't know if not doing the math here. Um, would they have lasted that long? Would Would you say from eighty one to two thousand seven? Yeah, yeah, so they would have been. Yeah, eighty one, then ninety one was ten years. Two thousand one was twenty years. So what? Twenty six, twenty seven years. That's not bad. Hey, we we <laughs> and we lasted longer than Chuck and Die. That's for damn sure. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And yeah, those were all some pretty significant releases. The Ramones' "Pleasant Dreams" dropped. Um, the the dis the, the Discharge EP. Why that's that's pretty influential. And it was with this record, okay. And I might not even have heard actually heard the band yet. And it was a couple years later, but it's just seeing the exploited punks not dead in the in in the record shops. And all that, and it's just just seeing them and seeing that record, and it's like this this is this fucking band, man. That name, the name of the band, their picture, and all that. This is the band that epitomizes punk. And it was one of those punk bands that crossed over without being crossover, but they're one of those bands that crossed over, you know, two metalheads as well. Yeah, like yeah. You, you 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 saw you know exploited patches right next to metallica patches all the time know, in 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 1984 85 yeah so those were some pretty significant 
releases um, as well. Um, let's get on with some of the news. The news stories that made 1981. And we already kind of touched upon this with, uh, with the what, Killers records. Let me pause okay. you for a quick second. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I got to pee. You keep talking about the news. I'll be back. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hurry, hurry, hurry. It's not like, yeah, I haven't, we haven't done this on other podcasts and all that. But, uh, okay, we, we already touched upon um, Mr. Bruce Dickinson joining Iron Maiden. Okay. That was kind of the year that, um, and it might have been kind of later on in the previous year, but um, Dick Dickinson, okay, no, no, basically ni- 1981 was the year that Iron Maiden gave uh, Mike Diano his walking papers, and um, well, when you get rid of a significant member of the band, you have, you have to replace them with, with someone, someone killer. And they did that with Bruce Bruce brought him, brought him in. And the rest was kind of history. And it's really, it's really too bad. It's really, it's, it's really too bad. It's because they just, they let him go. They, they let miss Mr. Deano go because he was drinking too hev- hev- heavily and all that. And I'm sure every every rock band, every every artist kind of goes through their own problems with addictions and all that. It's just too bad. This um this had such an adverse effect on his career. Hey man. Well, he's never been the vocalist that is Dickinson. No, it wasn't. You know, I mean, he he definitely helped him go and and get started. We wouldn't have Maiden without Diano, but he's never going to be Bruce. You know, like like Bruce, Bruce, like Number of the Beast is like holy fuck that album. You know, mm-hmm. and then just from that forward, it's just like wow, they just took everything by storm. Oh. No, for sure, for sure. I, they probably like we we've mentioned on this show more than one occasion. Does Maiden transcend new wave of British heavy metal? I don't know if if they do or do or not. It's it's up to the the individual. But just in terms of popularity, yeah, they do. And I don't know if they would have made that break with Diano. No, just never. Just just. Because of his 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 vocal style doesn't scream, and I'm not calling Maiden an accessible band, but but Dickinson's vocals definitely would appeal to a wider audience than Deano's did. Well, and I think Bruce Dickinson's voice allowed them to explore. Uh, and forgive me, everybody, but like the prog rock, prog metal mm-hmm. areas, because I mean. You know, you can call Maiden New Wabam, right? You can call them the New Way of British Heavy Metal. You can also call them Prog Metal. Um, you can just call them British Heavy Metal. I mean, they really hit so many, so many different things going on. And I really don't think they could have done that with Diano. 
or without the fact that you had somebody as headstrong as Bruce in the band to go against somebody as headstrong as Steve Harris, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I really think his history, his history, good history was made with with the inclusion of um, Dickinson. Um, 1981 saw the debut within the Kiss ranks of one Eric Carr. Was he not the Fox? He was the Fox, one of my all-time favorite Kiss drummers. I know for some people that's blasphemy. But um, Eric Carr and Bruce Kulick in Kiss is my Kiss. Like that's that's my lineup. That's my classic lineup. Right. Um, yeah, and poor Eric because his debut record was The Elder. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that was at a time like yeah, Kiss have just sold a metric shit ton of records all the way, kind of up leading to that record. And all that and they just they just kind of stumbled from there I'll, I'll i'll just never like i'll never forget like the first time seeing like cars part of the band okay doing the photo shoots and and all that with the makeup on and like it looked cool but it stood out you you, you know what i mean you have a black oh, yeah. metal band Okay, because it's because we we're so familiar with the four makeups and the four and, and the four characters. You you take one of them out, you replace it with something. You can tell right away something is off. You have a brutal black metal band, and they all got the corpse paint on. And he one guy leaves, and they bring another guy in and puts the corpse paint on and all that. Like you can probably make the transition. You know, if it's a lesser-known band, like visually, without any, you know, no one says boo. Yeah, a lot of people said boo with Eric Carr. Well, and you know, the, you can tell that they obviously learned from that because Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer are in the original makeup. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, they, they realize that oh, hey, these are the four characters. And they kind of you know realized that they really did create these larger than life comic characters in the makeup, and that's what people want to see. Um, and for a while, it and you know it's funny. I for the life of me, I still can't figure out why it bothered me when Tommy put on Ace's makeup, but I didn't even bat an eye when Eric Singer put on, um, you know, the cat. Like, right. It di- didn't bother me in the least. I'm like, well, yeah, Eric Singer. And I don't know if that's just because I know Eric was in Kiss before that. You know, like, right. like he, he, oh, yeah. he to me, he kind of earned his stripes with the revenge record and, and after that. And, you know, um, but just it, it took me a while to accept Tommy and the ace makeup. No, 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 no. You and, and you're absolutely right. That's that's why. You know the new guys. You now that's weird too. Like Eric Singer and, and Tommy Thayer being the new guys. Yeah. You know, and they're they're no no matter what. Like you know, they're always going to be called that. Like you could be in a band for thirty years, but for those first 10, 10 years, if everyone is is familiar with with that guy, you're always you're always going to be 
the new guy. Oh yeah. No matter how many, it just that's just way the uh, mind works. Speaking of the new guy, 1981 was the year. Big Hank, Henry Rollins joined Black Flag. I know that's holy shit. That's right. Yeah, because that's the damage record. But mm-hmm. they they recorded, but they couldn't release it. Right? Wasn't wasn't that the rub? I don't know now. Oh, yeah. I feel like there's there's a lot around that because of the, like the label they were on, and then I don't know. Then that's when they transitioned SST. Like very very volatile history we'll say with with black flag and sst you know <laughs> right right just just in just in general and rollins has literally written the book you know of, about what goes on as as a band on tour and and just through the recording processes and all that and like in the hardcore world okay rollins joining black flag was Kind of the equivalent of Ronnie James Dio joining Black Sabbath. Yeah. Like when you really think about it, you know, to 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 kind of equate that. Well, and it's funny because like I will always associate Rollins with Black Flag. Like that's my Black Flag. Mm-hmm. That's the Black yeah. Flag I know, it's the Black Flag I love. And there are people that just consider that blasphemy. You know, like, like that. that's like the people who are like, well, if it's not Ace, then it's not Kiss. If it's not Peter, it's not Kiss. You know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, like Hen- Henry is black flag to me. Henry, oh, Henry and Ginn and Dukowski, like that's that that's my classic lineup there. Because I mean, let's face it, their drummers were as bad as Spinal Tap. <laughs> no doubt, right? Right, right. Another interesting debut. Okay, and it's not just a new member it's not the debut record well i guess i guess it kind of goes hand in hand but the debut um full-length album which was basically a compilation of some previous seven inches but the debut record from minor threat okay kind of went hand in hand and kick-started the whole straight edge scene in hardcore as well in 1981 wow yeah yeah and that's that's um yeah like the influence and the impact that minor threat has had over the years on a variety of hardcore and metal bands oh yeah you know as 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 well and i discovered minor threat a couple years maybe about from 81 it might have been about 86 when i first discovered minor threat and even back then i kind of had that the the one thing that i like truly have an ego about okay that kind of it, it, it always bugs me like when i discover a band that i should have known about because they have a pretty cool discography or they did this that or another thing why did i not know about this band okay well <laughs> when i first discovered minor threat blown away by that whole by this debut release it's like man why did i not know who this band was before this is absolutely fantastic stuff well you have to think about how obscure that music it was yeah and i was up here as opposed to being in dc you know when the scene was was exploding because because my my first exposure to black flag 
would have been right around 85, 86 is they were disbanding. Um, and there was this super cool girl in my high school, a couple years older than me. And she's like, yeah, Walk you need to check way. out Black Flag. <laughs> you know? And, um, and I'm like, okay. And then that's when I found the SST ad in one of either Metal Edge or Circus or Hit Parade or one of those. And you send in a couple bucks and they send you back the program Annihilator cassette. And that's mm-hmm. when I first heard Black Flag was all that stuff. Like, beat my head against the wall and uh, annihilate this week, you know. Um, and, but that wasn't till the mid-80s, so they were already gone, Right, you know, and then we we really got a resurgence of this back in the '90s when the quote unquote alternative scene was coming up because grunge was heavily influenced by all that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you saw know? saw those those Seattle bands with the yeah with the punk shirts and all that. And there's and that that's fair ball, you know. Like that's 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 fine. Who whatever artists made you what what you are okay that's that's fine it just shows that you had good taste regardless regardless um what i think of eddie vetter today i'm sure when pearl jam was first starting like if i sat down with him and just talked about his record collection i would have been like yeah fuck this guy's cool listen i i don't care how anybody feels about eddie vetter you cannot deny that man's amazing voice Oh, for sure. Like, I don't give it's a shit how you feel about him. Like, let's just focus on that amazing voice he has. It's yeah. insane. And, like, the uh, Temple of the Dog record with him and Cornell. Holy crap. Fantastic stuff. Too, oh, right? Just wow. Wow, those guys. Yeah. And finally, just in terms of news, <laughs> the movie. The heavy metal movie called Heavy Metal yeah. came out in, in 1981. And this this isn't, like, okay, well, the soundtrack, really, okay. Yeah, it, it, it had Black Sabbath, and it had Sammy Hagar, and oh, a couple other of, you know, heavier type, type rock bands. But it, it was pretty varied. As well, like it had Journey and Devo, Don Felder, Stevie Nicks, and all and all that. But I don't know, just for because I guess the magazine and what it's called and and all that, it just it's always so connected to the metal world. Hell because yes. like like let's like, like let's face it, even even after you know I discovered heavy heavy metal before. I discovered the magazine before the music, and then I I appreciated the magazine even more. Okay, after going metal full time, and it's just a phenomenal movie, and it's it's still one that I enjoy today. In case anyone's wondering exactly what we're talking about, if you're if you're relatively new, 1981's Heavy Metal, the movie based on you know, the illustrated magazine was this animated science fiction anthology movie, which uh, has some pretty significant, um, like a lot of it was made up here in Canada, like and voices with uh, Eugene Levy and John Candy as well from the SCTV series and all that. That's something 
that really attracted us as young Canadians. Oh, this movie, that's movie heavy metal. It's great. Never, never mind all the animated boobs and all that, which you're to get that since that's what the magazine, you know, it was erotic science. It was a, it was a erotic science fiction up here in Canada. We were stoked to see that John Candy as well <laughs> was, was lending his voice to this it's like ah yeah this is really cool so 1981 man take a ride on heavy metal fantastic stuff still still one of my favorite films today and i recently and i think we talked about it on the show i recently had a renewed interest in the magazine i haven't picked up the latest issue because yeah i enjoyed it when i when when i was younger but i had many years when when it kind of fell off f- fell off my radar and all that but hitting the comic book shops regularly because that's really the only place you can find heavy metal magazine anymore apart from a subscription is in the comic shops because i can't find it anywhere and it was on every rack yeah except maybe safeway like the 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 grocery stores but it was on every other ra- m- m- magazine rack that's a really good point. You know, and it just over the years now, over the last 10 years, the magazine rack started getting shorter and smaller and smaller and smaller. And now, you know, a lot of, you know, these um, metal magazines have disappeared off of the rack. So I haven't even seen Decibel. I haven't even seen Decibel magazine on the rack up here for about six months it's my subscription that's kind of keeping me going with it which that reminds me i have to renew it very soon it's going to expire soon so yeah i'm definitely going to recommend younger listeners find it however you may i would suggest going out and picking up a dvd copy of the animated movie heavy metal and grab a copy of the soundtrack as well the um the title track sammy hagar's heavy metal one of my all-time favorite songs to this day so for me that's kind of 1981 it's your one-way ticket to midnight (laughs) that's right that's right and by the clock on the wall telling me that we should uh make our way out of here but Let's get into some tunes from 1981. Uh, the aforementioned Kirith Ungall, their Frost and Fire record debuted 1981, just a couple years back. Their uh, double live album, I Am Alive, recorded from the Up the Hammers festival, dropped. And that's when. You know, we had Kirith on the show. Fantastic stuff. So let's uh, drop the title track from the aforementioned Frost and Fire.
Mentioned Jody Foster's Army, JFA, whatever you want to call them. Great, great classic skate rock. That is skateboard anarchy. Well, my friend, had a good time tonight uh, having a couple bevies and uh, walking down memory lane. Hell yeah, man. Right on, right on. This is uh, something that we're going to have to do. A little more often with every passing year, you know, there's always that special anniversary or every, every every year, I should say, you know, has that reason or reasons to go back and say, oh, fuck, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember this year. I remember that happened. And like my wise dad once said, always have stories to tell. And I think this is a good way of doing that. Before we get on out of here, um, making, forming in 1981 was the French traditional metal band Sortilege. They came to my attention a couple of years later with their Metamorphosis record. And once again, like we mentioned a couple um episodes ago when we we're talking about songs that we just never outgrew okay and we loved nina's 99 luft balloons oh it's fantastic yeah okay so within that spirit and because i'm just more familiar with the title track of sort of Lage's metamorphosis record let's go out with the original the original french version metamorphose how can uh, people get a hold of us? Well, dear snowman, radioactivemetal.org. Head out there. That's where we have the full archive of all our stuff. You can find us on your favorite podcast aggregators. That sounds so damn fancy to just say go to the iTunes podcast app. Or wherever else you listen to podcasts. When I started, it was really only iTunes. And then other people were like, oh shit, people want to hear this stuff? Well, what, how can we get in on the party? So pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast on the internet, you're going to find us. I challenge you not to find us. And if you do, email us and email us this that you submitted us to it. Because yeah. that's how we spread the, um, the glitter of the internet that is radioactive metal. Because, you know, just like glitter, you can't get rid of us. Just when you think we're, we're gone, <laughs> we're still there. We're everywhere. Right? So hit us up there. Um, hopefully, we're going to get good with our timing. And all the cool shit Snowy talked about, like that metal album, the death metal album, mm -hmm. it will be up on Instagram, at radmetal666. Um, probably on our Facebook page as well, facebook.com slash radmetal. If you want to email him to complain that um, we didn't have them up when this episode comes out, radmetal666 at gmail.com for all, all complaints, all love mail, all hate mail, all um, I'm really drunk and emailing you and probably won't remember this mail because that's personally <laughs> our favorite. It's a great time. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the story. Um 
except for the fact that we are a member, proud members of the Shining Wizards Network. ShiningWizardsNetwork.com. You can tell I've been drinking because I am slurring the fuck out of that. Um, but the fine folks of the Shining Wizards Network put up with our shit. And, you know, because of them, we're on Spotify. So you can find us on Spotify with the Shining Wizards Network. They also have this wrestling podcast uh, called A Wrestling Night in Canada. Hmm, and um, it's weird yeah. because, like, the one host sounds like Snowy. One of them sounds like Ducky, um, you know, who's been on the show. And another one sounds like Matt Copper, who's been on the show. So it's crazy. Yeah. Like, hmm. It's all these sound-like dudes. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, please. Check out our brother's show on the Shining Wizards Network. In the meantime and in between time, that's it. This has been a 1919-1981 episode of Radioactive Metal. I'm Snowy White. And this is Aaron. Signing off.